Welcome to the Dogwood Podcast, a presentation of Dogwood Church. For more information, visit dogwood.church. Join us now as Pastor Keith shares today's message. Well, good morning, Dogwood. How are you? Good morning. Great to see you. You know, as uh, we are uh, this week kicking off our uh, six-week spiritual growth campaign that we're calling the Miracle of Mercy. As uh, Pastor Chad said earlier, we're taking seven Sundays and six weeks to to drill down on uh, just how merciful uh, God is. Uh, we're gonna we we think this is so important. Again, we're taking seven Sundays. Uh, I'll be teaching on it in here for seven Sundays. Uh, we're going to take six weeks of our, our life groups. Uh, that's not only our adult life groups, but our middle and high school guys and gals, our elementary uh, students, as they gather on Sunday mornings in their groups. We're, all, we're, we're doing six um, lessons, drilling down a little deeper on God's mercy toward us and how He turns us into merciful people. We are providing in your uh, study guides for your life groups, also 40 days of uh, personal quiet times, personal daily devotionals uh, to, to meditate on. And uh, you can start those this week as, as well. And we're going to even be memorizing scripture together uh, to do this. In fact, I've got our, this week's is going to be on the screen. Take a look at it. It's Matthew chapter 5, verse 7. Read this out loud with me. Ready? Here we go. The merciful are blessed for they will be shown mercy. Matthew 5, 7. Now that's in the uh, Holman Christian Standard translation, which is what I'm, I'm using, but use, any verse, use your favorite English translation. If you are using an English Bible, we've got a, couple of, a few internationals in our congregation who have Bibles in their own heart language. But uh, the, to, we'll be all memorizing the same Scripture, studying in the same small group lessons, same passages here, same daily quiet times, all because we believe an understanding of God and His mercy is foundational to, uh, to our faith. Um, we, um, many, many people do not understand that God is merciful. Uh, and that may be some of you. Many people think that God's the opposite of that and have a wrong view of God. That is why many people avoid God. That's why many of you uh, stiff-arm God. That's why many of you are running uh, from God, trying to stay distant from God, simply because you don't understand God's mercy. And uh, it's so, God's mercy is so big that it we can't cover it in one 30-minute talk in a worship service on Sunday mornings. We're going to take six weeks and seven Sundays uh, to do it. I love this verse in the Gospel of Luke. Uh, Luke, the, the, uh, the biblical historian in his writings in Luke chapter 1, verse 27, uh, excuse me, verse 78 said this, because our God's uh, merciful, because of our God's merciful compassion... Dawn from on high will visit us, speaking of God, uh, God Himself. So, so many people don't understand God's mercy. I've, I've been asking one of my favorite questions, and it's this. What if we changed all that? And so that's what we're going to uh, attempt to do. And so let's start today by defining 
Mercy is going to be on the screen. Here's a good definition of mercy. Mercy is undeserved forgiveness and unearned kindness. Undeserved forgiveness and unearned kindness. That's a, that's a darn good definition of mercy. And that's the way God treats you. And that's the way God treats me. When someone forgives you and you don't deserve it, that's called mercy. When someone is kind to you and you've not earned it, that's called mercy. Uh, and you're going to need mercy every single day of your life, every single second of your life. The air that we breathe, the Bible says, is, is, as a, uh, is a mercy of God. The, the, um, the, the water that we drink, everything that we have for life to sustain and enrich, and enrich our life is because of God's mercy to us. And um, the Bible says that God wants to show you and show me uh, His His mercy. God created you to love you and to show you His mercy. That's what He says in, in the Scripture. So today, to get us started, I want to ask two questions. When do I need God's mercy? And what difference does it make when I receive it? Now, there are many instances in life in, uh, in which we would say, I need God's mercy right now. So I'm just going to drill down on one of those today. And it's the, uh, and here it is. When do I need God's mercy? I need it most when I am ashamed. I need it most when I am full of shame. Uh, and, and when am I ashamed? It's when I've messed up. Uh, it's when I've made mistakes. Worse than that, you know, a mistake is when you do something by accident. It, it, but a sin is when you do something on purpose. And I, and I find that that fills us with guilt. It fills us with shame. It sometimes takes us beyond embarrassment. Um, and I need God's mercy when I'm full of shame. Now, some of you are full of shame today. Some of you are in a prison of shame. You are imprisoned by your past. You think back of... Every, everywhere I've been, all that I've done, how long I stayed there, I am, I am embarrassed, I'm beyond embarrassed, I am ashamed, I'm beyond ashamed, I am full of shame. And for some of you, it shows on your face. Uh, you know, I represent God to many of you, some, some, to some of you in a really kind of unhealthy way, uh, because there, I'm not Him, I know Him, but I'm not Him. And so sometimes even when you greet me, you just kind of, you know, you don't, don't even want to... And I'm saying, what is... Lift up your head. You know, what is going on? It's shame. Now, how do you... So how, how do you know? Because I've been ashamed. I've been ashamed. We all have. Not only... See, not only do we not live up to God's moral and ethical standards as revealed in His Word in the Scriptures. We, we know that nobody's perfect. Nobody can keep all of God's will and, and ways. I don't even keep my own standards, and they're substandard to God's. You know what? And you don't either. You've got these rules. You've got these standards for yourself, the way you think you should live, what you should think, what you should say, how you should, should behave uh, and that you think everyone else should do the same thing, and you can't even live up to your own standards. How do you feel when you don't? Ashamed. You feel ashamed. Uh, we struggle 
uh, with shame. This is this is beyond debate. I've never met anyone who uh, didn't did actually claim to be uh, perfect. Sometimes it goes beyond that. Sometimes we have these destructive habits and uh, behaviors that are so strong that they seem to control us. They grow in strength to the point that they they control us. They have us in their grip. And we keep on making the same bad decisions and taking the same destructive actions uh, over and over and over, day in and day out, every week in and week out, every month, every year. Decade. Some of us are into multiple decades of being in the grip of bad decisions, self-destructive and sinful behaviors that have us in its grip and to the point that our spouses and even our children, now maybe even some of our grandchildren, have said, why do you keep doing this? Not only that, it goes on to our, then our, our parents and our friends and then our, hey, our teachers and, and then our neighbors, and then the police. And then one day the warden ultimately says to us, how could you be so stupid? Why do you keep, why do you keep doing these things? Why do you keep behaving this way? How did you end up here? Have you ever been there? How do you feel? Ashamed. You don't need anybody to tell you that you're messed up. You already know it. I already, already know it. We... And so what do we do? What? We need God's mercy. We need God's mercy. And so uh, as I thought about this particular circumstance, I was reminded of, uh, of a story, uh, an account in the life of Jesus when He was here on this earth. It was recorded uh, by John the disciple, the Apostle John, in his writings, and uh, we find it in the Bible, in the Gospel of John, chapter 8. If you, you take your Bibles, digital copy or hard copy, turn to the fourth book in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, you'll get to the fourth Gospel. Uh, go on to, to chapter 8. This is one of my favorite accounts in the life of Jesus. It's one of the most powerful stories, and it's the story of Jesus and his dealings with a humiliated woman. Beyond ashamed, humiliated woman and how he dealt with her. And I think if you and I, no matter your, no matter your level of guilt and shame and embarrassment about your past, I think if we go to her story and Jesus' encounter with her, we're going to find some forgiveness and freedom to move on to a brand new future. You know, you can't... You can't go back and change the past, but you can start now and rewrite the ending with Jesus, and that's where we're and that's where we're headed here. And so let me read this to you. John chapter eight, beginning in verse two. This is God's word. At dawn, he went to the temple complex again, and all the people were coming to him. He sat down and began to teach them. Now this is in Jerusalem, at the temple in Jerusalem. He being Jesus. Then the scribes and the Pharisees, these were uh, two groups out of um, uh, the, uh, the Jewish faith 
uh, in Palestine uh, at the, uh, at the, during the time in the life of Jesus, the scribes and the Pharisees, the scribes were the, the teachers and the theologians and the keepers of the, of the Word of God. The Pharisees were a subset, kind of like their own little denomination of the Jewish faith, and they were highly committed. They were very conservative, highly committed. They had committed their entire lives to, to try to perfectly obey God's Word. And so they were, you got to give them an A for effort here. You got to give them an A for effort. I mean, they were, they were, they were upside down. They didn't quite get it right yet, but they were, they were working on it. So the scribes and the Pharisees were skeptical of Jesus. They didn't think he was who he said he was. They did not think he was the Messiah. And so here's what, what they did. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery, making her stand in the center. Now, the question comes, you know, you can't do that by yourself. Where was the guy? Now, that's another sermon for another time. We'll try, don't know. They don't mention him. But anyway, this is, this is, it gets bad here. So, teacher, they said to him, this woman was caught in the act of committing adultery. In the law of Moses, in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. What do you say? They asked this to trap him in order that they might have evidence to accuse him. Jesus stooped down and started writing on the ground with his finger. When they persisted in questioning him, he stood up and said to them, the one without sin among you should be the first to throw a stone at her. Then he stooped down again and continued riding on the ground. One of the things I want you to notice in, in this very public situation of humiliating this poor woman is how Jesus guarded her dignity. How he treated her with grace and love and respect. Now, had she made a mistake? No, she'd done worse than that. This one, oops, I committed adultery. Didn't mean to. No, that'd be a mistake. You can't, no, no, well, beyond that. She had, she had sinned. There's, there's not any culture. Every major world religion says this is out of bounds. This is not just Judaism. This is not just the Christian faith. Every other world religion and thought system fundamentally understands this is out of bounds. This is morally, ethically, spiritually out of bounds. And it's done on purpose. This was beyond a mistake. It was a moral and spiritual foul-up. It was a sin. She had cheated on her husband, and that is not right in anyone's eyes. But Jesus protects her in this very awkward, very public humiliation. Now, later on in private, one-on-one, he's going to deal with her. We'll see that. He's going to deal with her sin. And he does so, here's the good word, gently. Very gently. Very gently. But he protects her dignity here. See, Jesus accepted everyone. And Jesus accepts everyone. He does not approve of everything they do. He he accepted her. He did not approve of what she had done. Jesus accepts me. He does not approve of everything that I say and think and do. Jesus accepts you, but He does not approve of everything that you say, think, and do. Now, look at me. Let me see your eyeballs a second. Here we go. Everybody with me? Our culture says this. 
Acceptance and approval are the same thing. They are not. They're not. They're not. You know, I have people that I know and love and like uh, who are outside the faith and, and living in ways that aren't pleasing to God, and they say, uh, you've got to accept me or, I'm re- or, or, or you're rejecting me. And accepting means you've got to approve of everything that I say, think, and do, choose and feel, everything that I value. Well, I just say I have a really deep answer for you. No, I don't. No, I do accept you. I do love you. But I don't, hey, you guys have been around a while. No, I kind of like my kids. You know, I think they're the best daughters ever made. And, you know, but they're, and I love them and I accept them. They're not perfect. I've not always approved of everything that they've said or thought or done. But I accept them. Jesus accepted everybody. He did not approve of everything they said or thought or did. And he still does not uh, today. But he, he treats us with great love and grace and mercy. Now, again, no matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, he will, you will be treated by Jesus this way. Our church, Dogwood, we're on a journey to become the kind of church where no matter who you are, what you've done, you're going to be treated with love and respect if you are connected to our church. Well, look at verse 9. When they heard this, they left one by one. What, when they heard what? He said, The one without sin among you should be the first to throw a stone at her. When they heard this, they left one by one, starting with the older men. Only he was left with the woman in the center. So all of her accusers, all of her judgmental accusers skedaddled. But notice, notice here. Now we, we're hypersensitive towards judgmentalism, aren't we? Aren't we? Well, sure we are. Sure we are. Uh, human beings have always been sensitive. We've not been too sensitive about our judging others. We're just pretty sensitive when we're judged. <laughs> we don't even notice. We do it so easily. We're totally insensitive to judging others. You know, it's just we're really good at it. So much so we don't even realize we're doing it until it's done. Uh, but we're very sensitive about someone judging us, our motives you know, and so forth. But notice that Jesus, not only did he treat this poor humiliated woman with great grace and mercy, he, he, he treated her, her judgmental accusers very gently. He was God in the flesh. He didn't pull out the lightning bolts, bzzz, you know, you bunch of judgmental jerks. You know, he didn't pull out his 10-point sermon on, judge, on judging and beat the tar out of them. He just kind of doodled around in the dirt a little bit. Said, well, let's see. Okay, get your rocks. Okay, uh, let's see, who's first? Whichever one of you has no sin. Just a gentle statement. Boom. But very gentle. Very gentle. You know, he he's kind even in his conviction of our sin. And I think that's part of what it means in the book of Romans when it says it is the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. But it was good enough because they left. They, they left, starting with the oldest to the youngest. He said, now, why did it go that way? 
Well, here's why. Because generally speaking, again, if you are even remotely trying to know God, now again, these guys didn't have it right, but they wanted to have it right, and they were, they were pursued. If you are even remotely trying to know, love, and follow God, the older you get, the more aware you become of what a foul-up you are and how easy it is for you to sin, how easy it is for you to fall, how fragile you are. That Those verses in the Scriptures that say, be careful where you stand lest you fall. You say, that's got my name on it. That's got my name on it. And, and, you, and you think back and you remember all of the things you said, you wished you hadn't said, all the things you've done, you wished you hadn't done, and, and how easy it is uh, to sin. You are more aware of your sin. It's like we looked at in the, the Sermon on the Mount just a couple of weeks ago. The, more, the closer you are uh, to Christ, uh, the, the, your sin gets bigger and bigger, so you might as well have a log in your eye. You know, it just blots out everybody else's sin. You can't even see the speck in your brother's eye. And so the older guys, they tended to get that first. As soon as the oldest guy there, Jesus said, the one who was without sin, he just started backing out. He just started backing out. Now, it's all you young guys who still think you know everything who still hang around with the rock and can easily take the, feel better about ourselves because we can take the moral high ground over someone around us. You know, we can keep a little pile of rocks handy. But every one of them responded to the gentle confrontation of Jesus toward their sin. They said, mm, he's right. Busted. Busted. I'm out of here. And so now it's just Jesus left with this woman. So what in a one-on-one -on -one situation, now what's he going to do? Look at verse 10 and 11. When Jesus stood up, he said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, Lord, she answered. Neither do I condemn you, said Jesus. Go, and from now on, do not sin anymore. That's all he's going to say? Yeah. Again, not only did he not pull out his ten point sermon on judgmentalism, he didn't pull out his 10-point sermon on adultery here. He just said, well, then I don't condemn you either. But go now and don't do this anymore. He, he did not condemn her. To condemn means to pass judgment and pass sentence. I sentence you to hell. I damn you to hell. That's where we got that phrase. You are, it's done. It's over. You're toast. He didn't condemn her. He also did not condone. Look, these were C words. Condemn? No. Condone? No. He, he did not condone her shameful, sinful behavior. It was terrible. It was destructive to her and everyone else. He, he did not condone uh, her behavior. He did not say it's okay like your granddaddy would. Oh, it's okay. Just don't tell. You know, I'm, I'm, I know how that works now. I'm a grandfather. <laughs> and this week, a couple of times, I said to my granddaughter, Oh, I don't, shh, don't tell your mama, you know. Yeah. Grandfathers, I see you. Am I right? You know how you do that? Oh, you know, these, this doesn't count. Toward you. 
Well, Mama said, I know, but Mama's not here. So, you know, that kind of stuff. No, 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 no. He didn't do that. He didn't say, oh, it's just a little adultery. No. No, he didn't do that. He did not condone. He didn't condemn. He didn't condone. He confronted. He confronted her sin. He called it. He didn't say, oh, it's just a mistake or everybody messes up. He said, go in. Sin no more. Don't do it anymore. It's sin. He confronted her, but he confronted her gently. That's all it took. In his mercy, he confronted her gently, and then he freed her. He mercifully changed her. And that's what he does in you, and that's what he does in me when we receive his mercy. He doesn't condemn us. He doesn't condone us either. He confronts us and deals with our sin, our sinful, shameful behavior gently and changes us. And that makes all the difference. So what happens when I ask for God's mercy through Jesus? Two things. It's in your notes. Jot this down. Here's what he does. God's mercy forgives me and God's mercy frees me. Now, those those are both necessary. His mercy forgives me and His mercy, mercy frees me. Forgiveness takes care of the guilt of my past. Now, he, has, uh, he is right and just to forgive us because He's paid the penalty for our sin. We talked about that last week. Nailed it to the cross. You remember that? Nailed it to the cross. He, he, can, he has the authority to forgive us, to forgive the debt. And, the, and 1 John 1, 9 says, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He has the authority to do that. He forgives us. The freedom that He gives is the power to change the future. That, you, that I no longer have to live in these bad decisions and bad behavior. I no longer have to live in this shame. He takes it away. I'm forgiven from my past. He takes away the shame and the guilt so that I can get on with my future. Look at Isaiah chapter 61 verse 1. The Spirit of the Lord God is on me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and freedom to the prisoners. I said earlier, some of you are in the prison of your own shame. You are imprisoned by your guilt. You are imprisoned by your regret over your sinful behavior in the past. Uh, you are you are ashamed beyond em, embarrassed, and you cannot get on with your future. So, what does Jesus say to all this? We'll look at the next verse, John chapter twelve, verse forty-seven. He says, "I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world." He came to save you from judgment. Now, let me be clear. You were here last week. You know, the Bible's very clear. There is going to be a judgment. There's going to be a judgment one day uh, for you. When you die, every human being is going to stand before God and give an account of their life before God. But it, and it, that's only going to be a bad day for those who ahead of time rejected God's offer of mercy. He wants to give you mercy ahead of Judgment Day. Only those who reject His mercy will find themselves in a sad situation 
on Judgment Day. He wants to show you His mercy. The only people who are going to be judged negatively on Judgment Day are those who have rejected the mercy of God. Look at this, James chapter 2, verse 13. This verse in the Bible says, Mercy triumphs over judgment. God's mercy triumphs over judgment. So all of us here who find ourselves ashamed, in great shame, Jesus says, I want to show you mercy. I want to show you mercy now. Hey, guys, our church is filled with hundreds and hundreds of people whose lives have been wonderfully transformed, forgiven and set free by encountering the mercy of God. I mean, hundreds of us. That's why we sing His praises. That's why we worship Him. That's why we serve Him. That's why we gather and sing songs to Him. That's why we give offerings to Him. That's why we say, Lord, what can I do? Woo! Lord, have mercy. And He did have mercy. Hundreds of us. And you can get in on the same thing. That's what He wants to do. God's mercy is great. Look at Psalm 86 verse 5. The Living Bible paraphrase states it this way. It's beautiful. I love it. He said, Oh, Lord... You are so good and kind, so ready to forgive, so full of what? Mercy for all who ask, for all who ask your aid. If you come to God with your shameful, guilty, sinful, embarrassing habits and behaviors, He's not going to scold you. He's going to save you. Well, save save means to be forgiven the guilt and set free for the future. He's going to save you. That's what He says right there. He's ready. He wants to do it. He wants to show mercy and even even more than that. Look at this passage in the Bible, Hebrews chapter 4, verses 15 and 16. For we do not have a high priest, speaking of Jesus, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tested. Some translations say even tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive what? Mercy, undeserved forgiveness, unearned kindness, that we may receive the mercy of God and find grace to help us at the proper Time. So when you come to God through our Lord and Savior Jesus and you've really sinfully messed up and you say, God, I, I am a sinner. I'm not going to soft sell it. I am immoral. I am, uh, uh, is like Isaiah said, I am a man of oh, woe is me. I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell among a people of unclean lips. I am ruined, he said. God says, well, now you're not. Now you're not. He's sympathetic. He's going to change your entire view of Him. So why would you run from God when He's, he's running after you saying, wait, I've got, I've got all this mercy to pour out on Undeserved forgiveness, unearned kindness that He wants to pour out on you. So what's the condition? How do we get it? There is a condition. Now, for Decades, literally, some of you have been hearing me say in these services about prayer, these words. God does some things when we pray that He does not do when we do not pray. You say, why does He do that? I don't know. But this is one of those. What's the condition 
There's one condition for receiving the mercy of God. You ask for it. Allison and I had a dear mentor in our life, Dr. Harry Smith. Met him when he was 85 years old. He's a retired Georgia Baptist pastor. And he had a... uh, He came up to us uh, the week after we met him after church one day and he had a black and white photo, about this big, black and white photo, and he put it in front of our faces. He's a real dignified man. And he said, uh, it was a picture of a cabin up in the mountains. He said, this is my cabin. It's mine. I said, yes, sir. It's mine. It's only available to them who ask. He stuck it in his pocket walked off. Which means, you just got to ask. It's yours. You just got to ask. God says, here's my mercy. Here's my great mercy. It's only available to them who ask. But anyone can ask. Anyone can ask. Look at Acts chapter 2, verse 21. It's on the screen. But anyone, say that word with me. Anyone, anyone who asks for mercy from the Lord shall have it and shall be saved. Now, I've told you, I'm, I'm educated far beyond my intelligence. I went to the 25th grade. I really did. School for 25 years and studied all the Greek languages and all that kind of stuff. So I thought, anyone, really, anyone? So this week I got out all of my Greek word studies, my dictionaries and lexicons and commentaries and drilled down on that word. And here's what I found about that word. That word, anyone means in the Greek, anyone. That means anyone. Anyone. You. I don't, again, again, I don't care who you are. I don't care how bad you think you are. I don't care. You know, say, well, I don't deserve it. Sure. Yeah, we agree. You don't. I, we don't either. I don't care how, where you've been, how long you've been there, where long you stayed. Anyone who asks for the mercy, for mercy from the Lord shall have it. So you ask for it. For some of you, God's been preparing you your entire life for this moment. This very moment to say, I have loved you all your life. I made you. I have a plan for you. I created you. And now I want to show you my mercy in kindness. I've been waiting to do this for you your entire life. And here's God's message in Isaiah 30, verse 18. Therefore, the Lord is waiting to show you mercy and is rising up to show you compassion. For the Lord is a just God. All who wait patiently for Him are happy. Pray with me. So we're going to pray. We're going to close in prayer. And if you have never asked God for His mercy. Some of you are, are, are unbelievers. You would never consider yourself a Christian. You've never been following Jesus, but now you're ready. You can do this for the very first time. Some of you are Christians, and because of your failures as a Christian, you've been walking around in this prison of shame. You've never come back to Him and asked Him for that mercy over your sins as a disobedient child of God. Will you do this now? You do this now. I'm going to coach you through a prayer time. There's nothing magical about these words. God's more concerned with the attitude of your heart than He is the words of your mouth. But you pray these from your heart to the Lord Jesus.
after me. Dear Lord Jesus, I admit that I have gone my own way. I have sinned with my thoughts and words and deeds. And I'm ashamed, full of shame, really. I'm sorry for my sins. And I now turn from them in repentance. I do believe you died for me. I do believe you took my sins in your body on the cross. Thank you for your great love and mercy. I now ask for it. I now open the door of my life to you, trusting in your mercy. Come in, Lord Jesus. Come in as my Savior and forgive me. And cleanse me. And now free me to live for you. Accept me and take away all my shame. Come in as my Lord and take control of me. And I will serve you as you give me strength all the days of my life. Heavenly Father, thank You for hearing these prayers. And thank You for all those right now who've received by faith Your great mercy. Thank You for forgiving them of their sin and all of the guilt and shame that goes with it. And thank You now for freeing them to change and live for You in the future. And it is in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Quietly look at me, would you? Take your communication card. If you prayed to receive Christ for the very first time, ask for His mercy for the very first time, on the back side of this card, it says, Today I, and there's a little statement there that says, I prayed and asked Jesus into my life. That's what we just ask you to do there. If you did that, let me know. Check this box. Turn in your card. I've got a packet called a Getting Started with Christ packet. I want to send you in the mail with some materials just to help you start enjoying this new life with Him in His mercy moment by moment, day by day. If you have personally prayed to receive Christ, either this morning or maybe it's been in the last 10 years, but you, your, your, next, your next step of obedience, the Bible says, is to confess that publicly by being baptized. So check that statement that says, I want to talk with someone today about baptism. Our team will be in touch with you. On November the 13th, we're going to baptize a, a bunch of people in our services that Sunday, and you can be a part of that as well. Well, we're going to sing about God's mercy and celebrate it now. I'm going to ask Kevin and the team to come, and uh, you, uh, you join in. God bless you. Thank you for listening to the Dogwood Podcast. We hope you enjoyed the message. For more information and other sermons, visit dogwood.church. If you'd like to give to Dogwood Church, you can use your smartphone and text keyword Dogwood to 779-77 or click the Give link online. 
You can now download the Dogwood Church app for Apple and Android devices for podcast, video, and more.